How account executives can build relationships at scale. Welcome to the Work Before the Work podcast for account executives, SDRs, and sales professionals looking to prospect better, sell more, and get promoted faster. I'm Paul M. Caffrey, co-author of The Work Before the Work, and in each episode, we deconstruct the hidden habits elite sales professionals use to outperform the competition. Please share and enjoy. Hello and welcome along to the third episode of The Work Before the Work podcast. I'm your host, Paul M. Caffrey, and today we're going to tackle prospecting. We've got prospecting expert Dan Englander joining us. He's the founder and CEO of Sales Schema, and he's also published his most recent book, Relationships at Scale. And what Dan and his business does is they work with agencies on a fractional basis where they are helping them generate leads and book appointments and basically doing all of that prospecting and that outbound part of work on behalf of the agencies that he works for. As a result, this is a very tactical episode with a lot of tips that we can take away and actually use in our own prospecting when it comes to operating as account executives ourselves. Some of the things that we touch upon is you know, how you should look to prioritize your day as an AE. Then also, if you are looking to go for promotion, um, ways to think about how to prepare for that and things to consider such as what the you know the hiring manager is going to judge as success when you're actually in that role so you can future pace and start speaking towards that ahead of time but at its core this episode is about prospecting and it is full of prospecting tips a few things to listen out for are a discussion around you know things that you'll be able to do that ai will never be able to do for example you know personalization AI will never have the same experiences that you have or the shared experience that you're going to have with your prospects. So we dig into how you can actually look to use that to your advantage. We then also speak about you know the first call and how to make that first call with a prospect really valuable to get them hooked into wanting to do business with you. And then we speak about sales and in particular sales preparation and a couple of things which are called out uh, by Dan. One that jumped out at me is to make sure you're swinging at the right pitches and Dan breaks that down in more detail in this episode itself. So the show is going to be packed full of tips, mainly focused on prospecting. So I'm very excited for you to hear it. And one more thing, are you actually looking to build 5x pipeline? Is that something that as an account executive, you could do it now? If it is, and you might like some help with it, go to paulcaffrey.com forward slash brainstorming and let's jump on a quick call and map out a plan that's going to help you hit 5x pipeline in this turbulent economy. Now, let's go straight into the episode. And as I mentioned, we're joined by Dan Englander. Dan, thanks so much for being here. How are you? I'm all, Paul. How are you? Yeah, really good. Really good. And very excited for this conversation because we're here to chat about your great new book, uh, Relationship Sales at Scale. And I know for a lot of the listeners that this is going to be really, really informative, really helpful, and really of interest to them because everyone's first impression and you must get this a lot is you can't do that you can't mm -hmm. do relationships at scale how, how could this be possible 
Yeah, that that's something we hear a lot. And it's true. And when we say relationships, like a relationship could be somebody that you pass on the street and you know you nod at them because you see them while you walk your dog. Your relationship could also be your your husband or wife or spouse, right? So there's there's obviously a gamut. And um let me I might go kind of far down the rabbit hole of of the the genesis of the book, but Basically, you know, I come from the agency space originally, fell into a sales role, basically selling agency creative services, tried everything under the sun there, went to a lot of networking groups, did a lot of outbound, did a lot of inbound with like Google ads and stuff, went on to starting sales schema, consulted for a little while, pivoted that pretty quickly to being, you know, B2B lead gen company, primarily in the agency slash B2B services world. And in the early years, we did what everybody does, which is kind of this mass shotgun approach to cold outreach and selling and, you know, saying, hey, this is on behalf of clients saying, we're so awesome. Look at our case studies and and so on from there. And it kind of worked for a while and then it kept declining in performance. I think there's different reasons for that. But I think what, what we're seeing and what's pretty obvious is that there's obviously lots of noise and lots of competition. I think this is especially true if you have a business, you can start from a laptop with an internet connection. Um, you're up against a lot. So the question is, how do you break through and get a meeting through outbound to the top of the funnel, right? And I think the problem is most people think what they're up against is differentiation, right? And um, selling and all benefits yeah. and features and all this stuff. It really what you're up against from just a psychological level at the very top of the funnel when you send somebody an email, LinkedIn message, et cetera, is, is lack of trust. Um, so back to the, the book and back to relationship sales and scale, you know, what we found is rather our hypothesis, our experience has been that there's plenty of people that would be willing to talk to you based on something you have in common with them already, right? On a business and or personal level. Um, so our whole philosophy is why not start there as opposed to going in cold and doing that whole game over and over again. Um, one more thing, and then I'll, I'll stop blabbering. A lot of what's informing that, yeah, is uh, there's there's a there's the the work of of Robin Dunbar, right? He's a sociologist, and he's written a lot about the idea of the number of relationships you can have in your life, and you have these circles, and they expand out by threes, right? So you have maybe five close family members, you know, 15 very close friends you can fight in. Um, it gets up to what Dunbar's number is, which is 150 acquaintances. And our, our experience has been, there's a whole other set of layers of people that would talk to you based on something that you have in common with them on a business or personal level. And that's what, that's what sort of informs a lot of our outreach and kind of how we're able to make this work. Okay. And um, so how do you take the leap from having, I don't know, this huge territory or all of these potential clients to go after to go, okay, well, well, these are the ones which um, maybe I do have a commonality or maybe there is something there. You know, what, what criteria should a salesperson or should a, you know, a founder use to, to apply that? Yeah, it's a great question. So I think I think the first criteria, and this is what I think makes outbound uh, so so valuable and so powerful, is aside from the leads and the ROI and all the stuff we want, it's very clarifying, right? So if you're a founder and you have a newer business, or you're even if you have an older business and you're trying to get clarity on the areas you should focus on, the act of having to go in and select the specific companies you want to work with uh, is really valuable, right? So literally, that's that's the beginning of it is figuring out. Your ICP, you know, i.e., hey, we sell into e-commerce between X and Y revenue, whatever it is, looking at those specific companies. And then that's kind of the foundation for everything else. 
that's not original to us. That's just what we think is a best practice. A lot of people think that is as well. It's ABM, right? Yep. Beyond that, our whole philosophy is from there, You know, instead of just going after any prospect that shares a title that you might want to reach out to, okay. why not start with the ones that are more likely to talk to you? So this can mean different things for, for different value propositions, different organizations, but a really common one for us is who's in your backyard right now, right? If you're, if you're in Dublin, why not find the people that are in Dublin and focus a campaign around them? Um, or, or maybe, you know, in your partner's backyard, or maybe you're going to go to a trade show next month uh, in a particular city. Um, maybe there's people, and this is something, you know, we had a client like this where we had tried everything. We tried every sophisticated, automated, cold outreach approach, five different channels, you know, doing cold calls and all, all this complex stuff. Nothing worked. They were well positioned in tech. They work with big tech companies. And we said, all right, we're trying something new. We're going to go find everyone that used to work for one of their clients and has now gone on to one of the companies they want to work with. And we sent a two-line email that said, hey, I saw you used to work for IBM. Now you're at Symantec. We've done a lot of work for IBM. We should probably talk. That got dozens of meetings. They went on to close business. Things were amazing. Champagne was popped, et cetera. So that, okay. that's, that's the sort of thing is like really thinking about this on, on a human conversational level and like how do you identify yourself as being in, you, in the same world as your prospect, walking the walk and talking the talk? You know, we all send emails all day to people that we know, people we've met and people that are in our world and they look and feel different than the emails that we send when we're selling something most of the time. So our whole philosophy is just make those things the same and add scale to the process, basically. Okay. So uh, I guess if I take that on, so if I, let's say if I'm an account executive, it could be a case of um, maybe reaching out to companies where people have left that, that we know we might want to do business with, or maybe there's executives in our wow. business who have worked in places that we maybe want to get into. So um, yeah, I can see they're actually being a different way to look at it. So I guess looking at a different path into those accounts, as opposed to just kicking off your, your prospects and your, your outbound stuff. Um, and I guess the same works if you're a founder, then yeah, you could be looking at, well, who's in your network? Who um, have you spoken with? What are, you know, you've both attended this conference, so maybe we can use that as a starting point. Um, so I get, I get that. Um, but the question I guess is probably still going to be there is, um, how can I do personalization at at scale? How how can I scale that? Is there, um, you know, is there templated emails? Is there something else, or is it simply um, just doing the work and reaching out to each of those manually? Yeah, great question. So I'll, I'll answer that in kind of a roundabout way. So first off, there's two different ways people get this really wrong. Um, the first is the most common way in the sales space is the over automation terminator machine, right? Where it's just annoying people and you just try to like load in, play the numbers game infinitely. The problem with that, aside from any ethical stuff or, you know, just branding or, you know, even if you don't care about any of that, um, about your reputation, um, what, what's happening technically is you're going into sort of like spam jail because enough people click that manual spam button, your deliverability suffers, and then you have to constantly set up new domains and it's, it's not really sustainable. That's the way most people get it wrong. On the other end, people that are kind of like nervous about doing outreach and doing, doing selling um, tend to either do nothing or they send custom one-to-one -one love letters and they budget time to doing custom outreach. And that's not sustainable either because you get busy, it falls apart. And even if you don't offend anybody, 
you're not really getting enough critical mass to be getting to that two, three, five meeting a week level, which in the B2B world, we need at least that to be able to close business yeah. and hit our numbers and all that good stuff, right? So the answer is really the middle ground, right? It's finding that Goldilocks zone. What that is for for you, for your listeners, you know, is going to depend on their market and their resources and everything like that. But for a lot of our clients, that might mean we're contacting around 300 people per week, right? So that might mean we're contacting 50, 60 people a day. So if you're thinking about 50 or 60 yeah. people, that's now a number where to get it, to get into the technical weeds, um, it's a templated email, but it means that we can often look at something that is compelling. We can have a hook that Venn diagrams with the seller and the buyer in a way that's meaningful. Um, what I think doesn't work and what we're seeing right now is kind of this personalization arms race and AI is making this um, move a lot faster. I'm not saying this stuff never works, you know, but I think that it's going to have diminishing returns very quickly because this isn't, this isn't just outbound. This is marketing and sales psychology writ large. We value what's scarce, right? We value pattern interrupts. We value people that reach that, that do things differently. Um, the most common response we get from prospects when, when we have success, which is often, is there is something different about your outreach. And this this is, and I, I don't usually, everybody says this, I don't usually respond to this, but there's something different about this and I'm not sure what it was. And that's usually the case because we're reaching out to people that are busy and they don't just take calls with everyone, right? There's, yeah. there's very few people that aren't in that situation. So... I might have lost your question a little, but I think the thing that is going to stop working as well is the idea of I'm going to use robots to find all this information about you and then regurgitate it back. The thing that I think is timeless is looking at something that you have in common and then using that. Now, tactically, the, once you start getting creative like this, the list of, the, of those things can just keep going on and on. You know, I mentioned some tactical ideas, geographies and so on. But it could also mean looking at like, where, where do you actually know people? Like, where, where do you actually have ways into the accounts you want to reach? Like, you're probably sitting on gold right now. You probably don't have to reinvent the wheel. Like, like one exercise that we're often doing for clients is like looking at LinkedIn connections, figuring out who do you actually know here, and then mapping how many people they know into the accounts you want to reach. So it takes a little bit more time, but you're essentially just batching up referrals into the places that you want to reach. Yeah. So, I think that aside from like whatever specific tactic you're doing, a lot of it's figuring out like where the work goes, right? And kind of getting away from this over automation and thinking of it more towards systems. Like every week we, we come up with the campaign for the next week and then, you know, budget time for that and that sort of thing. So anyway, let me pause there. <laughs> cool. Okay. You know what? There's, um, look, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there and a lot of different ways that we could go. Uh, and I guess, you know, thinking about really logically, if, um, you know, if you've worked in sales and you've actually sold two people uh, before and you've maintained that relationship, I mean, that could be a great source to go into because it could be a similar persona. And what you'll find is even, you know, for me, even if it's somebody who I've sold to in a, you know, with a previous business or in a previous life, but I've maintained that relationship, it's actually the fact that you're a, you're a good person, you've delivered um, for them before that they could actually still be a way in for you, even if you're in a new role, uh, into uh, another context. So I guess you just need to kind of open things up and uh, I guess be real. What I'm hearing as well is the personalization that can't be faked. So maybe it's something connected to you, your interest, where you live or somewhere they went or where you both went to. Uh, relevance, though, is still key. We're not going to get an executive to speak to us if there's, if there's nothing relevant that they don't have a problem that we could potentially help them with. So I guess that is is there we'll just to call that out 
Um, probably digging just into this one more time. Let's imagine we've you know we've got a founder and they, they could be on their own. They've built out their their piece of software. It's working, or maybe they've got one salesperson with them, and they're like, right now, need some customers. You know, anything on top of what you've already mentioned that you'd recommend that person starts doing to get get the wheel spin and actually to try get that software in the hands of users. Yeah, I mean, with the caveat that you know our main experience is B two B services and in the agency world, um, it kind of doesn't matter. Like the, the main thing that we have this experience with is like a consultative complex sale, which is kind of what I think this this works best yeah. for. I think that if you are you know you need massive amounts of scale, you're probably looking into things like ad funnels or or whatever. Um, but you know, if you're thinking about about you know basically de-risking conversations, and that's that's really like the what our experience is with. I think a lot of it is building, you know, a repeatable system and process for creating these customized campaigns and budgeting the time for that, right? Because our whole thing on this is why not actually be deliberate and direct with the people you want to work with and then find a way to to kind of do business with them um, and find and find that right balance between scale and personalization. So, you know, to get back to your question. Um, if somebody's got you know a dedicated salesperson, or or even if they're they're solo, I think it's sort of acknowledging that you're going to be wearing multiple hats, and that's okay. Um, and then when you grow massively, you may choose to hire a researcher, and you may choose to hire a BDR that sits under the account executive. But then before those things are there, just kind of acknowledging that you're going to be wearing multiple hats, and that you need to sort of divide up your time and your mental bandwidth accordingly. So what that looks like, you know, could scheduling is deeply personal, but it could mean that you're saying, okay, account executive, like you're going to spend this hour building this list and then teeing up, you know, this massive account list so that we can build campaigns from it over the next three or four weeks. And then this will just kind of run on autopilot. It could be something like that, or it could be saying, Hey, you know, here's how to, and, you, and I'm sure you work on this a lot with your clients, but here's how to like prioritize your time so that the people at the bottom of the funnel that are about to sign the IO are getting priority. And then from there, you focus on this group of prospects that are in the middle of the funnel and then so on from there. So I think that's kind of the first thing if that answers the question. Yeah. Yeah. So um, being deliberate with your time, understanding you have to take on multiple different roles and um, yeah, I guess just doing the work, which uh, is, is scary for people because sometimes they've got to step away from a comfort zone and actually step out uh, and do it. Um, I guess one of the things that you, you mentioned a little bit in the book is, is how to divide the sales roles. And you actually mentioned the researcher there, which I guess is probably a lot of people might, their ears may have pricked up because they maybe typically haven't you know, heard that mentioned uh, along in a sales conversation, having a researcher. Um, what What is your viewpoint going like? So for the mid-20s and beyond, um, let's say if it is one of these agencies, what, what would a a sales team look like or what could it look like following your methodology? Yeah, great question. So I, I actually think at least for a consultative sale, um, the the value is in what what you're able to provide and help with somebody else w- with on that first call. So there should be enough standalone value. So the question is, is that who's the person to kind of best provide that at least from the outside looking in. So if a prospect is getting a piece of outreach and they're usually going to click through to LinkedIn and see who is this person, um, 
are they going to get enough value from that call? So for software, it could be that the, the traditional BDR model is alive and well, and that's because the product is doing so much of the heavy lifting versus the actual person. Now, if you're in a consultative sale, and that could be software as well, because you have a very complex piece of software, a lot of it is about the person selling it. You want that to be doing more of the heavy lifting. The, the, so the way we think about it is you need somebody to be on that first call and be the face of the campaign that can offer value on that call. Now, it doesn't have to necessarily be an owner. It doesn't even have to be a VP or anything like that. It could be, depending on your situation. But you want that to not just be, hey, this is just an SDR doing the outreach, at least for, for a consultative sale. So that that's the main thing that we think about. Um, is putting somebody in that, and maybe that means giving somebody yep. a different title. You know, there's different ways you can kind of, you can kind of be creative with that. Um, so that's the first thing. This, the second is kind of thinking about the quote unquote strategy element. When you say strategy, this is a word that gets thrown around a lot, but it really just means like the copy, the prioritization, um, kind of what you're leading with. So this is, this could be the face of the campaign if you're just a tiny company and that might be a lot of your listeners. Um, or this could be somebody else that, you know, is more in tuned with the copywriting and with what goes where the systems, the list building, the software and everything like that. So somebody to figure out who are we contacting from a high level, you know, what's going into yeah. this, what are we saying to them? Um, the researcher element. Now I don't want people to get intimidated by that or to think they have to go out and hire a researcher right away. But the idea of this is somebody that can do the more tedious aspects of the process eventually. So in the first one to X months, um, this could be the strategy person kind of looking at the data and then moving it to the right place. But before long, it becomes something that you can SOP pretty easily and you might as well. So that's that's kind of the the rough idea of the sales team we found to work well. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and it is interesting. And what I have seen is um, like if you're working in that larger tech company or if you're working that smaller startup that, you know, sometimes having call to actions uh, on content, which can be, would you like to have a 50 minute brainstorm with our tech team or with one of our team to help you achieve X? Uh, and as you said, it doesn't necessarily have to be founder, whoever, uh, but sometimes that can be a good way to have a, it's a very, it's very short. The time is, is designated and then you can decide, uh, you know, do, is it make, does it make more sense for you guys to work together or maybe it doesn't. And then it's, you know, into your nurture track, inviting them to the events that you're running virtual in person or whatever, until maybe they're at a point of being ready or you know what? We'll we'll move we'll work through and, and bring you into that consultative process. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's 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 pretty pretty cool. Um, as regards your, um, I guess you probably get this a, a lot um, from from um, agency owners and maybe from others. But it's I noticed that you also speak to this in your book. But it's what is you know the perfect day or what is you know the best way to have a perfect day sales process. I noticed that phrase bouncing around. It'd be great, I think, for people to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the main thing that you're doing there is sort of like thinking as if you were going to spend a whole day with your prospect and building all the trust that you would have by the end of that. Now, with the understanding that you probably aren't going to literally do that, it's probably going to be broken up over you know a number of different um, steps along the way. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's, it's not completely revolutionary. I think obviously like nurturing people and putting them through content is important. We all know about that. But I think if you can think of it as like, basically these people need to spend approximately a day with you to have enough trust um, and to also, you know, have 
everybody aligned on their side, I think it makes it a little bit easier. And that's kind of what I was trying to get across with that. And that could mean a combination of one to two to three calls combined with a piece of content or two pieces of content they're experiencing between those calls, um, you know, combined with, with a loom video that, you know, is, is welcoming them, welcoming them aboard or something like it could, it could vary. Uh, but I think it's a good way to sort of like think about what needs to happen. Yeah. I, you know what, I really like that. And especially now that we're back into, I mean, face-to-face is back somewhat, um, in more industries than, than others, I guess. Um, but um, I've never thought of it in that way of, of thinking of it as a your wholesale cycle as a day. Um, however, there are two things which I've always thought really can help you uh, accelerate uh, deals and work together. And that is one is getting one face-to-face meeting if your circumstance allows you in the sales process. Earlier the better, but it doesn't necessarily have to be early if it's just how things transpire. And then the second piece is I've always thought it works really well if you can, if you're going to somebody's office or if you're meeting them, you know, maybe grabbing a coffee outside beforehand or maybe even grabbing a bit of lunch or a bit of dinner around the meeting. Now, again, it's probably very select sales cycles and larger deals where that will happen. But bringing that human element in when you can absolutely makes sense. And thinking about it, it probably fits into your spending the day with somebody because if we spent the day with somebody, uh, we would definitely go for good food. Um, one other yeah. thing which actually I found worked really well, um, I suppose when COVID hit particularly, is framing your meetings and saying that, you know, if this was, if you know, it, normally we'd like to be with you, we'd be sitting next to you, we'd be talking around things, but look, let's run this meeting as if we were in the same room so we can talk up and um, have that same feeling. Now, obviously, we cannot have that same feeling over uh, over Zoom or on, on meetings, uh, online meetings. But when we actually frame and put it out there, it does give people a different mindset when they're on the call. So maybe you can never actually get to meet them, but you can maybe just pick one meeting and try to make it, that interaction a bit more natural as opposed to, I guess, following the script, which um, we need to follow it, but we need to be real as well. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. And there is there is something that I could see shifting with that framing. So I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. So going to run through a couple of quick questions and let's see how we go. So first one is, what is your number one prospecting tip? Yeah, I think it's simplify things. Um, I, I think usually when we see prospecting going wrong, it's because people are doing uh too much and they're they're splitting their attention too much um so i think you know regardless of all the tactics if you just think about you know this getting really clear and specific on on who you want to reach out to uh and then just setting a priority to contact a certain number of people each week um you're going to get a lot further than trying to add multiple channels at once and i think that for some reason in the sales process i've noticed there's a tendency for salespeople to overcomplicate more than marketers often do. Like you'll see marketing agencies that are like, we've mastered Facebook ads. Now we're going to add on LinkedIn ads, right? And add that to our repertoire. So, you know, I think that a lot more can be done with being deliberate and then sending the right message and making sure it's received than just more touch points across more channels. Um, so that's that's my first piece of advice there. Really like it. So simplify things. Second question, what is your number one sales tip? 
Yeah. Um, I mean, to, to, to give you a little credit, I think preparation has been really helpful for me lately. So I think that that's, that's a good thing to get back to, um, probably not just in sales, but you know, in all walks of life, um, being, but in order to prepare, you have to, um, basically make, make sure that you're swinging at the right pitches to use American baseball metaphor. So a lot of that is being back to qualification, um, you know, being deliberate listening so that you yeah. then can decide who's worth preparing for basically. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, couldn't agree with you more, you know, being prepared, doing the work before the work. I'm all about that. So there are going to be some people who are listening and they're maybe working uh, as an account executive or you know, they're at a point in their career where maybe they want to transition into leadership or they want to move in, into another role. Um, uh, what advice or what tips would you give somebody who's seeking promotion? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, I, I think that the first thing is, is depending on who you're looking for that promotion for, you have to sort of start thinking more entrepreneurial, entrepreneurially, entrepreneurially, that's a really hard word. Um, and think about the way that your superior is going to be judging performance going forward. So future facing, I think a lot of the times when people are looking for promotion, it's look, look at all this great work that I've done. Look at all these, these things that I've accomplished, but that's not how, you know, superior is going to be thinking about things in terms of money that they're going to be paying out in the future. Right. So they're going to be thinking about what, what can you bring? If I'm hiring you for a new job, how, how are you going to pay for this promotion? Basically. So in sales, uh, that's pretty straightforward because it's like, you know, I can close this much more if I was motivated in this, this sort of way. Um, but I think if you're moving into more of an executive or management role, you need to be able to paint a picture for what that's going to look like and why, you know, it's going to be ROI positive, especially yeah. if you're in the tech world and you're in a startup sort of situation. Um, yeah, those are the main things that come to mind. Okay. So two big things to jump out there. Um, and, and one that maybe people don't think about is, yeah, you want to be an ROI positive hire. So, you know, what value are you going to bring beyond? And then painting that picture of success that lies ahead and what you're going to bring. And I guess it's not always about the job description. It's about what that team or what that role is maybe missing that you can bring that maybe nobody has seen. So really, really like that. Okay. A lot of people listening, everyone listening is looking to sell more. What is the best book that you can recommend for for sales um yeah well i'll plug your book again paul I've, I've really it's really helped me a lot as a reminder mainly to get back to prep so i'll just mention that shamelessly <laughs> to you Thank um you. that's that's been great lately i think another one that i love uh, is challenger sale which i i kind of consider almost like a spiritual sequel to spin selling i think neil rackham wrote the forward to it you know, and I think it's just a really great primer yeah. on like what sales looks like in the quote unquote modern age, right? So it's less about endlessly asking questions. It's more about, you know, changing perspectives, telling a story, uh, teach, tailor, take control. So that's, that's been, that's been helpful. Um, but I think that, you know, I think a lot of the times um, sales is kind of timeless. Like once you're dealing with the underlying human psychology, it doesn't change a whole lot. It's just small ways of, um, you know, having things click in a way that's better for you or small contextual changes for the digital age. But it, in my opinion, it hasn't changed a whole lot. <laughs> you know, yeah. my, one of uh, our coaches, Mike Ganzel, was talking about like he dug up a sales book from like 
the forties and going through, he's like, okay, this is more or less the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's um it is incredible. And actually we had Todd uh, Capone on recently, so he's uh author of Transparency Sale, but he is a sales historian. So he's got all these great books and references from the nineteen hundreds. Uh, and he will read out phrases and he will read out um quotes and you could apply them to today. So yeah, yeah. totally there with you when you're looking at the, the psychology of sales it is classic. Um and is there any books outside of sales from a business lens that you think, yeah, you should check this out or um, this is a must read? Yeah, oh man. Um, right now I'm reading the third book of the Robert Carroll and Nibby Johnson books. So it's the master of the Senate book. Um, I don't know if it's valuable from a sales perspective. It probably is, you know, on some level, basically like, you know, it's it's super fascinating um, in, in terms of just understanding the whole history of, of the U.S. in that era. And it sort of paints the picture of the quote unquote, like great man theory of history and just how like somebody could be that psychotically addicted to work and make so much happen for better or worse. <laughs> um, so it's, it's a super interesting perspective that's kind of shifted how I think about what one person can do, you know, to change the course of history. Cool. Um, that's been, that's been good. Uh, Oliver Berkman's books I've really enjoyed in terms of just like kind of finding peace and in, in the context of work and running a company. Um, he has the antidote and then was, if, uh, I think 4,000 weeks is kind of his latest book. Um, the list goes on. <laughs> there's yeah. a couple that come to mind lately. Well, yeah. there's, there's a lot there. And, um, the last few you mentioned, I haven't heard of, heard of, so I look forward to checking them out. Yeah. Um, Dan, it's been great speaking. Um, thanks so much for taking the time to come on. Uh, if people want to find out more, if they want to, to get your book, you know, how can, how can they get in touch? Yeah. Th thanks. Thanks so much, Paul. Um, books on Amazon called relationship sales at scale. Uh, hopefully that's, that's useful. Um, yeah, always happy to connect with anybody. Best place is uh, Dan at saleschema.com or just if you if you want to schedule a consultation with our team, saleschema.com. Great. Thanks so much, Dan. I look forward to chatting to you again in the future. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Work Before the Work podcast. For show notes and additional resources, go to paulcaffrey.com forward slash podcast. If you got value from the episode, then take out your phone, give a rating in your podcast app. It's only one click. And if you have 10 seconds to spare, then add the sales tip that resonated most and how you think it will help your sales performance. This really, really helps the show. Thanks again, and I'll catch you in the next episode.